Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and I'm very excited to be joined by the great tenor saxophonist and composer from New York, Paul Jones. Paul Jones has a brand new album out February 21st uh, called Let's Get Tropical. So thanks for being here, Paul. Thanks for having me, Nick. Of course. And uh, we're excited to get some new music of yours out. We had a little bit of a preview back in December with a cool holiday single and video that you had put out. Uh, but tell us a little yeah. bit about the album. What's it called and who's on it and when did you record it and all that good stuff? Um, it's called Let's Get Tropical. Um, as you said, it's coming out February 21st. Uh, I recorded it over a year ago in December of 2018 uh, at Samurai Hotel in Queens, New York. And it's got Phil Markowitz, Linda O, oh, and Clarence Penn on it. Um, and I kind of wanted to just hire sort of my dream team rhythm section and make a record with them. That was pretty much the entire goal. Um, and so I had some material written, but I didn't really have anything in mind. And I booked the studio date and I called the musicians and they said yes. And it was a go. And I had three months to write all the music and, you know, get everything together for the recording. Yeah, well, I mean, it turned out great, even with just that little bit of preparation, I think. So, you know, your last record that was also. Uh, on Outside Music, that was 2017, I think. Was that right? Yeah, I believe it was 2017. And uh, so that one was like very through composed, right? It had like Woodwind Quintet and your quartet. And um, I think you wrote that in Banff or somewhere else, somewhere in Canada. Was that right? Yeah, that one was, um, I'd say, maybe more programmatic than through composed for all our super oh, nerdy music fans out there uh because it was like it was, it was sort of like i incorporated like the rule of threes which is a big thing in comedy but also in like television and movies where everybody likes things in threes so there was like three distinct instrumentations and then there was a lot of things based on my personal experiences in life and then but also like books um that i felt were kind of relevant like um you know uh Fahrenheit 411 or 911, whatever that book is called, I'm blanking right now. Um, things are pretty topical today. And um, I went up to the Banff Center in Alberta, Canada, and I was about like a third way through the com compositional um, course at that point. And I went up there and it sort of like gave me my unifying idea for the project. And I got another third of the project done. And then when I came home uh, back to New York, I wrote the final third of the project in about six weeks. So it took me probably, that one top probably took me like a year and a half to compose all the music for. Um, and the instrumentation on it is like, it has a woodwind octet plus piano. So it's like four saxes, clarinet, flute, uh, oboe, and bassoon with the piano. And then I have like my, my working sextet, which is um, Johannes Felscher on bass, Glenn Selesky on piano. Uh, Matt Davis on guitar, Alex LeRae on alto sax, and Jimmy McBride on drums. Um, and then for the other, the third group on that was like uh, sort of like an augmented traditional jazz group. So instead of having bass, there was bassoon and cello sort of playing the bottom part of the group. And I had them play very specific melodic lines for the pieces, and I really liked the... Um, 
sonic uh, landscape that created with having bassoon and cello doubling and uh, playing the bass function in the music. So I really was really, really happy about how that project turned out. It was really inspiring and felt like it was uh, my strongest statement to date as a composer and uh, saxophonist. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a really great project. I I thought it was really amazing and well composed and um but it's good to, it's nice to see now something that maybe is completely different. So take us on a little journey from that when that came out to deciding to kind of go back into the studio. What's been happening in your life in New York and uh, and maybe everywhere, but give us a little overview of what's been going on since the last time we released. Well, um, I guess in regards to the next record, so Let's Get Tropical, you know, we as New Yorkers do so many things around the city, like so many different musical styles and so many scenes you cross paths with all the time. So, you know, I had been working on the music for my second album, Clean, and performing at the Cornelia Street Cafe, and I was able to hire, you know, some of my heroes through that journey, like Phil Markowitz. Um, I got to use him, like, on my first record CD release. Uh, and then I was able to hire Clarence Penn, um, in the city and play at the bar next door and things like that, play trio, which was super fun. Um, and then have him on some gigs at Cornelia street. And, um, you know, just by living in New York, you kind of get to meet all these different people and all these different ways of playing. And so when it came to this next record, I just sort of wanted to feature those players because like there's, you know, Paul Jones, the composer and the artist, but then there's Paul Jones, the working musician and saxophonist in the city who gets to, you know, live his dreams and meet these amazing players and play with them. And so I got to play with them and I just wanted to make a record with them because it's super fun and uh, I feel lucky to be able to call them. Um, and I never actually got to play with Linda uh, until we did the recording. We did rehearsal together and then we did the recording, but that was my first time playing with her. I'd only seen her play uh, a couple times in the city and I thought she was really, really great. I loved her attack and her time, her tone, which I mean, that's sort of, I guess, all you can ask for in a bass player. Um, <laughs> and so that sort of led me to this project and everything else that's been going on has just been kind of, you know, working around the city and hanging out with my friends and doing the New York life. Um, I did some tours this year. I toured with, um, Eli Paperboard Reed again. I toured with him for the first time in 10 years, basically. I met him in Boston and he's a soul singer and we, we did Europe for, like a week and a half. And then we did the U S like East of the Mississippi river for about two and a half weeks. Um, you know, eating lots of great food and playing soul music all over the place. And then in the fall, I toured with Leo Sherman and his band tone wheel, which is also on outside in. Um, and we did Texas and Ohio for a week and a half. And that was super successful. And Leo crushed it and the music was great. And so many people were really having a good time enjoying, um, the performances and Leo's world. And that was really fun. Um, and, uh, this has been the first year that I've just been a saxophonist in New York city. Um, and that's my primary job now. I just play saxophone basically. And it's, whoa. <laughs> so you're not, uh, you were doing, you were working at the Cornelius street cafe, right? And then that shut down. Yeah. I, would, I worked there for about seven years actually, which was like ridiculously long. Um, and I met everybody in New York by doing it, uh, because 
everybody, so many people wanted to play there and, you know, it was a great room. Um, and I was the bartender and sound person for many, many years. Um, and that's how I met Clarence. And then I saw Linda and Phil I knew from Manhattan School Music, but yeah, while I worked there, I got to become friends with like, like everybody, like Gerald Cleaver would come in and I'd hang with him and I had him on a gig one time and like, I would hang out with Ben Monder. He would come in and play and Tony Malaby, who was a former teacher of mine, it was cool to reconnect with him. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, one night, uh, towards the end as the cafe was closing, um, Kurt Elling came in and gave a concert, which was really, really special and amazing because he plays huge venues for jazz, like all over the world. And when he plays in New York, I'm pretty sure he doesn't play Cornelia Street. We can't really, we couldn't really handle the capacity for the crowd or pay him his guarantee. But he did it as like a favor mm-hmm. to, for the cafe as it was, you know, closing. And he brought his guitarist, who I can't remember his name. And Will Vinson played um, sax with them that night. And they sounded incredible and the place was packed. But at the end of the night, um, Kurt was hanging at the bar where I was working. And he's one of my favorite musicians uh, in jazz. I'd already, you know, been a big fan before he walked in the door. And we were hanging out and I got to tell him, like, man, I'm a big fan or whatever, you know. And um, this customer comes up to the bar and is like, he's obviously like very into Kurt Elling. And I was like, yeah, cool. But he he was a little rude to me, the bartender. Um, so I was like standing there and he just comes up and he's like, he's just like seltzer water. And I, I'm like, okay. And he goes, lime. He's just like telling me what to do. And he's like talking to Kurt at the same time. And then Kurt, in his own way, is because he's like super smooth in conversing. He's like, man, where I come from, there's a thing called please and thank you. And I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like as the bartender, wow. have like, you know, one of your uh, heroes be on your side while you're doing your job to make it happen, you know, um, was really cool. And then he also was like, man, there's also this thing called tipping. And I was like, whoa. Uh, so that was a super cool moment uh, towards the end of the cafe that I got to um, experience and hang with Kurt Elling. And I, if he ever ends up hearing this, I would love to hire him for something, um, which I might have an idea. <laughs> nice. for. I, don't, I don't know if I could make that happen. I don't think he'd remember me, but I got an in. I could be like, man, you were at the bar at Cornelia Street on that concert. I was the bartender. So if I can get some dollars together, maybe he'd be interested. Yeah, man, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, he's amazing. That's a great story. I love that. Um, so let's transition from, you know, all that time in between to back to the record here. And I really, really love, you know, the car, the cover and everything that you could put together and just kind of the whole concept of it. It just, I think a lot of jazz musicians will relate to some of the feelings that inspired it, I think. So could you give us a, a little bit of your feelings about, you know, how you, how you came up with the theme and the title and, and the kind of the look, if, if you haven't seen it yet, go and find <laughs> it on Spotify so you can see, and even get, you got to get the package. And I know, uh, we'll talk in a second about, uh, the cool, uh, expanded liner notes that you're doing, but you got to see the cover. You got to see the package. Cause it's uh, really, really, uh, fun, but it's also, it's just, it makes me laugh in a good way when I see it, you know? Yeah, that's, that's been the goal. Um, so I'm really happy with the way the cover came out. Um, and I also, I also 
you know, if I'm allowed to say, I think it was pretty hilarious. Uh, when I received it, I was on tour with Leo, uh, and we were in Ohio and the cover came through and I was, it was like nighttime in Cincinnati and I just like stopped and started laughing on the street. I was so happy with the way it turned out. Um, so the inspiration behind it is, um, I love the Doobie Brothers and I love, um, you know, smooth music from the seventies, so-called yacht rock and things like that. And then I also like, um, Frank Locrasto. He's one of my, uh, favorite people to listen to. And he's very into like exotica music and they're not really, they're like sort of related, but not really. Um, and I just, so the yacht rock aspect is just more fun for me, I think. And then the exotica music is sort of a vibe, uh, that, you could go for when listening or compute composing and you know exotica is kind of like lounge music essentially but it's like jazz musicians playing lounge music uh lounge music in the 50s and 60s um and they were the first ones to use like synthesizers and put like a classical tune to a synthesizer and add like a drum beat but they were doing that in like the 50s um whereas you know most of us it took us to get our first you know macbook and garage band to take clara moon and add a backbeat to it um, <laughs> but so yeah, Yacht Rock, I really enjoy. It's just fun music and it always makes me smile. And I wanted to, well, I wasn't sure I actually like thought of it until I didn't think of it until after I'd made the album. I wrote the song, Let's Get Tropical, just one night after work at Cornelia Street. I came back and I just, you know, put my hands down on the piano and I just played like a simple block chord, major seventh, you know, really just one, three, five, seven. But I heard the sounds of like Frank Lacrasto and Exotica music when I hit the chord, which was really fun. And I didn't really like try to judge myself in that moment. I was just like, let's just write because it's fun. And I wrote this song and I really enjoy it. It's really super fun. It's not like something else I've written because it's basically just a bossa nova. It's pretty straight ahead. And I usually try and like separate myself as much as I can compositionally, because I feel like that's the way to really get your voice into the world is through composition. Um, and so I wrote the song, Let's Get Tropical. I recorded it. I was really happy with it. And earlier in the, well, in the middle of the year, I started working on the album art. And I was like, I don't really have like a unifying theme for this album. And I don't really like it when jazz albums come out. And it's a bunch of songs and a title that has nothing to do with the album or like the, the titles are meaningless. And so, um, I went with let's get tropical because I thought it was the most fun. Basically that was literally it. It was like the most fun. So I called up my photographer, Jenica Penniston. I bought like a $5 backdrop, a cheesy backdrop of like, you know, the beach and palm trees from Amazon. And I bought some fake ferns and I set them up, uh, in this, photo studio and we started taking pictures and I, you know, got my yacht rock costume where I got a like floral Hawaiian shirt, some white pants. And, uh, we took a bunch of cheesy photos and then I sent it to my graphic designer, Adrian Badereth. And I was like, I want to do like a yacht rock cover with this photo. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work at all. Cause it wasn't like the photo I was hoping for. I actually got, I was able to use a boat, a sailboat in New York city to take photos on. And I was like, I wanted to get one. I was trying to recreate, um, a, uh, I can't remember the the artist's name, but it was, I think that was like Sail Away or something. Um, 
cover and I couldn't get any of the boat shots to work. And so there was this one really cheesy shot from the studio. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And I sent it to Denica or I sent it to Adrian and it came out perfect. And it's just hilarious. Um, and I always wanted to do sort of like a tropical themed record. Most of them, the only tropical song on the record is let's get tropical. Everything else is like heady jazz music, you know, but, mm. uh, the goal is just sort of like have a little bit more fun and, you know, you can still be super serious, but also be fun. Totally. And that's uh, definitely something that uh, jazz musicians aren't always good at. <laughs> We're very serious people. Yeah. I also wanted to add some humor because like, there's not a lot of music that makes me laugh. That's serious. You know, that's not just like crazy noises. And I don't know if yeah. like my music really makes people laugh, but there's, you don't hear serious music that, makes you laugh or smile often, you know, I mean, it should make you smile more. So I wanted to put some album art on there that was just fun and it ended up being kind of funny too, which I was happy about. Yeah. So now can you tell us more about, um, I know you've, you've had this idea for a while of like trying to put together this kind of extended liner note idea and kind of give us the, the rundown of what's happening with that. Because that's, I think a unique thing for your project. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm marketing this album pretty well, which I'm pretty happy about, uh, cause you know, there's always all these aspects of putting music out into the world that you never quite experience or learn while in school, you know, um, or when right. you're young and you get inspired by all this. But, um, I see a lot of people or hear a lot of people talk about, they're like, man, I really miss liner notes. And I also really miss liner notes. I used to love getting albums and sitting down and reading the album. Uh, and listening to it at the same time, uh, because I've learned so much about the music and it would give me greater depth into what I was listening to. Um, and I'd connect with it. And so I decided I was going to still make liner notes and I had to figure out a way to do it. And so I'm just basically going to make a web, a page on my website that's just the liner notes for the record. And so, um, you know, since most albums are kind of already free because of Spotify, I'm going to list my album on the website. Um, and people will be able to just listen to it, the whole album. And then uh, there'll be photos, like all the photos from the record from the studio day will be there. And a lot of photos from the photo shoot will be there as well on this page. And then there's exclusive um, liner notes, actual an actual essay written by um, guitarist and friend Noah Berman um, for people to read about the album and how it came together. And it's not just like a press release or something like that. It's like legit liner notes. Um, and then you'll also be able to see all the videos in one place. So it's like sort of like all the media that you get on the internet, but put into one place. So you don't have to sort of like go looking around for everything. And you can read about the music. You can check out the photos. You can watch the videos. Um, and I think I'm going to do it for my other albums too, because there's all this information. It'd be nice to have it all in one spot. And there also will be like, you know, donate buttons on the pages because, you know, we got to make some money somehow or we're not going to be able to keep doing this. And so hopefully I can convince listeners and people that enjoy my work to help support my music and cause so I can make more, get more good music out of the world. Um, so that's coming along. I got one video edited finally today and. I had to learn how to edit 4K video, and then I got three more to do, oh, and I yeah. had to sort through all of them. That's going to take forever, 
but hopefully, I mean, the, the liner notes will be done by the time the album comes out on 21st. I really only need like one more video and it will be up and running. But um, they'll be on my website, paulthejones.com. And you can look for, it'll either be under just Let's Get Tropical on the header or like under albums or something like that. Um, and people can digitally experience the album. Nice. That sounds like, that sounds great. So it's paulthejones.com, right? Yep. Because there's too many Paul Joneses out there. (laughs) As we discovered, putting (laughs) your first record on Spotify. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious, are there any albums that come to mind for you that really have great liner notes that you're, that you think of when you think of great liner notes? Um, it's not like something that I like specifically thought about. I can just sort of like go back to the ones that I remember getting when I used to buy CDs. Uh, I remember getting like, um, uh, Herbie Hancock's album Headhunters and reading the liner notes for that and like Thrust also having amazing liner notes, but then also like a lot of the early prestige recordings with, you know, Miles and Coltrane and people like that. You could read the liner notes in those and they were just like, essays they weren't even like very it wasn't like a lot of uh visual aid into the back of the album it's just like a white back to an album and then some black text and you read the essay and you're like oh man this is really cool i didn't know so-and-so was like playing in france a week before or whatever you know um right and so nice. i think those are the ones that come to mind when i first think about it yeah yeah, I just I the only reason I ask is I think there's a whole generation of musicians, you know, younger than either of us that basically have no experience with liner notes at all, you know? Yeah, and it's a drag because it was one way to like really really connect with the music. Like if you already enjoyed the music just because of the groove or whatever the thing was that you liked and then you read about it as well while you were listening to it, it made it way more fun. Um and just to connect was so nice, you know? Right. Totally. So looking forward to after the release comes out, do you have any uh, shows you want to talk about or promote that are related to the CD or just anything really in the future? Uh, not at the moment. I'm working on it with um, Outside In's new friend, uh, Danielle, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. We're working on getting some shows together i'd like to try and book a tour in april i know it's a little last minute but um Mm -hmm. part of the this year was sort of like a transition year for me and one of the reasons it took me so long to get the album out was i had put out a couple albums and you know worked in new york for 10 years as a saxophonist and 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 it's all been really really cool it's been amazing but now i'm sort of like changing directions a little bit where it's like well how do i also make my life and career better not just like doing cool music all the time because sometimes or a lot of times music doesn't pay a ton so you know it's hard to have a career um and so i haven't done a live show of my own actually in over a year it's been about a year and three months and i'm finally gearing up to want to do another show and hopefully in april i'd like to book like a small tour if i could in the states and maybe get to europe a little bit just for a few dates to support this record um and then if everything goes according to my hopes and dreams, I will be touring regularly uh, in the future. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, that's great, man. And so we look forward to that. And so Let's Get Tropical is coming uh, on Friday, October. Oh, hello. It's February, not October. February 21st. Uh, and you can find that 
on paulthejones.com. Uh, it'll be on Outside In's website as well as all your all the streaming platforms, Spotify, Amazon, and uh, the rest. So, Paul, thanks for being here. Is there any uh, anything else that we didn't get to share that you'd like to share before we take off? No, I think that's cool. Thanks for having me, Nick, and thanks to everybody at Outside In for all they do. I really enjoy being part of the Outside In family. Well, we're so glad to have you, man, and uh, glad you could be here today. So uh, check that out on Spotify or your favorite streaming platform. Paul Jones, let's get tropical and definitely check out uh, those <laughs> liner notes. So uh, we will definitely uh, talk again soon, Paul. And until next time, uh, have a good one. <laughs>